This is Laree Daniel Favors, and welcome to The Hub. My guest for this morning is Ehime Ora, also known as Ia Ifawole Sangodusi Erunfuti Adeola. She's going to have to correct all of my pronunciations there, folks. Uh, but she is a Nigerian writer, artist, and priestess of the Ifa and Orisha tradition. She is initiated into the societies of Ifa, Shango, and Erinle. Uh, and utilizing mediums of art like writing, Ehime Ora creates a captivating set of content uh, that heals, elevates, and inspires the soul. Uh, she is grounded in her purpose of reconnecting others like yours truly and our audience back to themselves as an educator of African spirituality and holistic wellness. Through her creations, she facilitates tangible joy and spiritual well-being in her communities. Ehime Ora, it is such a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you for being with us this morning. Thank you for the lovely introduction. I'm so grateful to be here. I got to be honest with you, uh, I'm a fan. <laughs> I have your book, Ancestors Said, the 365 Days uh, of Meditations, and I think it is just absolutely wonderful. And I just wanted to start by asking you, what is it like to be someone who is so rooted in uh, traditional African uh, religious practices, or, or maybe we should call them spiritual practices. I'll let you confirm which of those is the more proper term. What is it like for you to be so steeped in those and to have uh, almost a function to serve as a bridge between those of us who are longing for that reconnection, but who frankly, you know, I was raised in a church, sis, so I don't know like how, whether or not I'm going in the right direction, how to connect with uh, the ancestors. And these are all things that we're also very curious about. What is it like for you to serve as what I call one of the great bridges between who Black people are today and who we are uh, ancestrally, who we are spiritually, uh, and everything that exists within those spaces? There's a tremendous sense of gratefulness that I really feel um, and, a, and a, an amount sense of gratitude, especially to my mother. I feel like she was the one that really facilitated everything that you're really seeing now. Um, I was born in Ibada, Nigeria, and I immigrated with my entire family um, when I was a young age. Um, and I essentially was raised in America and kind of had this almost cultural shift every time that I left my very Nigerian household, right? And my mother, she struggled with this sense of homesickness um, that I feel that a lot of Black folk feel very deeply within them. I always say that Black folk worldwide struggle with a sense of homelessness. I think there is an almost this idea that continental Africans are more connected to their spirituality or connected to their true roots when truly colonialism and imperialism has done a number on us, especially when it comes to our connection to our spiritual tools and our innate spirituality and our ancestors. Um, so my mother, when she was going through and healing through her own homesickness, she was telling me stories of our ancestors. And that's when two things kind of happened for me. When I saw the power of storytelling and the power of oral heritage and the power of remembering ourselves through word and how that this the particular type of ashe that happens when you speak the stories of your ancestors. Mm. And that is also when I found the power of ancestral veneration and how they live here within me. 
They live here within my heart, within my mind, within my voice. And I feel like it is a responsibility. My mother always says, it's very important that you remember who you are. Mm. It's very important that you remember where you come from. Mm. And my mother, she loves being, she is, she is everything. She is here. She lives in the South. She actually loves the South. She wow. wants a home in Tennessee and everything. She's wow. surrounded by, she's very much surrounded by the diaspora. And she always tells this thing in her heart that she always tells me how sad she feels about people who don't really remember where they come from, even when in their own continent, in their own African country. Um, so it's a responsibility for me to do what I can to help people return back home, even those who are already what we consider to be home. Wow. So you just said a lot and my African diasporan brain needs to unpack some things. So <laughs> the idea of it being so important to remember who you are, that hits really hard because Ihimeora, we were literally made into the diaspora through forced unremembering through the forced removal of so many of our memories. I mean, the tactics that colonizers and slavers used against us, I feel as though someone must have told them about the importance of memory for African people because they were so good at setting up structures and systems that were intentionally designed to break our memory and our connection with their past, intentionally blending us up on those slave ships and uh, forbidding us from speaking our native languages, all of them, uh, and really focusing on how how to make us as dysfunctional as possible. But when you think about the importance of memory, for those of us who are sort of the, the diaspora's children, how are we supposed to try to get that memory back, particularly in light of your mother's wisdom about how important it is? And, and we know, you know, the Sankofa principle, you have to go back and fetch it. Like we get all of that. But how do we start when literally our entire existence is kind of the outgrowth of intentional forced forgetting for the profit of others? Mm -hmm. I would say to look around you because we remember in, in almost this unseen, intangible way, this almost a spiritual endowment that you, heart, that you actually have within you. It's almost innate. And I say this like innately because I look at the characteristics of the diaspora, like the foods, the culture, the music, the way that we dance, we actually remember things spiritually within us that we wow. can't really explain that has already been passed down. That is why I say the ancestors reside within the body. You already have them. You already remember them. You already know them way more than you already think, you know? And that's why I feel so strongly about ancestor veneration because we believe that we are connecting with our ancestors when truly we are reconnecting with them. Mm. They never left. Now I have this thing that I do with my kids. I was raised in the church, as my audience knows, I'm the classic black church girl, um, raised in the church. And I, with my own children, we have, you know, we don't necessarily employ that same set of practices. Mm -hmm. Like we talk about our ancestors, we have an altar, we incorporate mm -hmm. a lot of Buddhist practices, meditative. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've got, we're sort of a, a world traveler when it comes to some spiritual practices. But one thing that I've always been clear about is that even though I didn't necessarily understand it, I wanted my ancestors to guide my children. I want my ancestors, I want my children to know the, I want to know the voice. I want my husband, I want our household to be one where our ancestors feature prominently. And more than just in the, well, did you watch the documentary about Malcolm X? And did you talk or read anything about Queen and Zynga today? More so than that, I was really 
sort of leaning towards just an inherent knowing, maybe that's that intuitive knowing that you were just speaking about that. No, I pray for the guardian angels to protect them, but I also pray for the ancestors to whisper in their ear and to speak to them. And I think that that, unless you see it differently, may be sort of an example of that inherent knowing that mm, there's something else here that I need to be paying attention to. Would you see that that way? Or do you think that's a function of something else? No, I definitely see it that way. I think our connection to our ancestors is more simple than we actually talk about it. It's wow. not always, though the altar space is an amazing thing to have an ancestral altar when you're able to have communion with your people, but just initiating that content of remembering that, listen, I am the example of a lineage that has survived since the beginning of humanity. The connection that I have is what connects me to the creator. This is also why I think that no matter what religious practice that you have, it is important to always remember your ancestors. My mama goes to church every Sunday, okay? She was raised wow. in a Catholic home in Nigeria, and they also practice ancestral veneration very heavily in, in addition to their own indigenous practices. Those two are not removed. You can mm -hmm. practice whatever you want and still remember where you come from and remember your people. And actually, those are the two that work better together. You know, like the spirit that you have within church, especially within the Black church, when I experienced it myself, when I went once with my parents, it's almost, it's, it's insane. And that is the same kind of feeling that happens in the ancestral veneration. So, okay, let's talk about this then, because one of the things I've been using as one of my guides is your meditation book. And I told my audience, I was like, I am not an affiliate of a Hime or I do not get paid for this, but like a good, you know, every other week we do uh, moments of gratitude every single day. And maybe every other week, if not more, I will call upon one of your meditations as one of the inspirations for why we should be grateful, why we should uh, really center ourselves in joy and appreciation for this beautiful world that we have. And yet there are so many tools out there that we can use, so many things that we can look to. What advice would you give to folks like us who are members of the diaspora, who are searching for that reconnection? And, you know, there's a lot of tools. Not all of them are of the caliber of the ancestor says meditational book. Like some of them, quite frankly, are scams and, and you know, are, are ways that are designed to take advantage of people who are kind of spiritually vulnerable, but who are seeking. What mm. advice would you give for children of the diaspora as to how to sort of fetter or feel out through uh, the variety of methods and tools and teachings and practices that are out there? So ensure that we're actually landing on something that has a sense of authenticity uh, that wasn't just cooked up in somebody's, you know, backyard as they were figuring out how to make this a profitable thing when we see profit and religious practices in every type of mm -hmm. tradition. Uh, African traditions are, are no different. What advice would you give to folks who are seeking and who are really earnestly just trying to be as in alignment as they possibly can be to, to find those tools, those teachers, those persons who are authentic and, and not necessarily get caught up in some of the scams that we often read about? well-meaning folks who, who love their people, want to have that type of connection, but simply got connected with folks who just did not see the world the same way. Mm -hmm. I would say don't stray too far from yourself first. Ah. It's an extremely important that, you know, before we talk about remembering your ancestors or remembering ancestral tools and technology, we need to talk about remembering the self and having a strong sense of self. Um, within the Ifa spiritual tradition, we talk about the Ori, which is essentially the higher self. Mm. And we believe that the Ori is innately the essence of the creator, that the creator provides to you, that the creator breathed life into you, breathed ashe into your mouth to make you your own 
God on earth, essentially. Wow. And your own self, your own higher self, your own Ori is so strong that it's more strong than all of these spirits combined which is why Wait, my- what is that possible mm-hmm. I, yes. I have to break that down yes um, yes girl wait a minute Hold up, right everyone looking outside of themselves when your true power is actually within you it's truly within you and it's even crazy because Ifa tells us that if our ori is not correct doesn't matter how many prayers we pray to our ancestor to the divine it is only the blessing of your ori to accept it all if you already wow. does not accept it, you will not be blessed with it. So having a strong sense of self, curbing away any type of negative self-talk, aligning ourselves with our purpose, our destiny, what we actually feel connected to into our lives, why we were even born on this earth that we call the marketplace, Nifa, you know? And that's why the strong sense of self will prepare you to be able to have a good sense of discernment when you are out and exploring and trying to reconnect yourself to African spiritual technology or African spiritual practices. Because you will know with the strong sense of self, that hmm, this don't really feel right. Mm. This don't really align with me. And that's important because that is your already working and you should never disregard that for anything. Wow. Okay. Now you've said a couple of phrases a couple of times. Mm-hmm. I just want to make sure we unpack it because, you know, we're learning some new things here. Yeah. We're learning some language. You've said Ashe a couple of yeah. times and you've said Ori a couple of times. Can you explain what each of those terms mean? So Ashe is like, it's, it can be similar to Amen. Yes. It is a sense of command. Like I am commanding this to happen. So be it essentially. Mm. And when I talk about the ashe that you have, I'm talking about the will that you have to make things happen just by wanting it. That is your own ashe. And that wow. is the ashe that you have, the blessing that the creator has provided for you just by breathing, you know? And ori is the higher self. It is uh, spelled O-R-I. And it's essentially, it means the head in Yoruba, like your actual literal head. And in the head, it is life. You cannot have life without your head essentially. Mm. So it is your higher self. It is your own inner self. We even call it our own personal spiritual guide. So the intuition that we feel, the person that's kind of talking to you in your head, like, "Mm, maybe you should do this. So I think you should do this. So this is the idea that I have. That is actually you, yourself, leading you into the destiny that you already chose before you were even born. Well, now, Ahime, I got to be honest. Now, that that concerns me a little bit because I've been taught. I, well, I was just taught that you know anything dealing with a spirit god, that's of the devil, and oh I need to <laughs> tell me why that's wrong. Why is that wrong? It's not of the devil to talk about spirit guides, and I'm not going to be cast Mm-mm. into the you know into the lake of fire for even having this conversation. Mm-mm. It's about you. Like, let's let's drop the language and let's just go with what feels right. Like if someone says, what do you want for dinner today? I want, you know, I want pizza. That is your own self making that decision for you. There's nothing wrong to be connected to a, uh, to you, to a, have a strong sense of self. In fact, I feel like more of us actually should develop a strong sense of self and, and develop our own sense of individuality. So we could actually see that, hmm, maybe I can question why we shouldn't, why all of these opinions of me not being able to return back to African spiritual practices or these opinions about things that my ancestors have been done that they have already been doing and why that has been used against us and how we can actually see that that is actually a type of spiritual warfare 
that's occurring, that what do you mean that I cannot be connected to myself? What do you mean that I cannot be connected to my ancestors? And we have to see that that is actually a strategic way that our oppressors use to isolate us and to make us vulnerable to the brainwashing and to the narrative that they try to display worldwide, everywhere for Black folk. So could it be that I started in the beginning talking about the fact that colonizers and slavers were really, really good at mm. separating us and intentionally dividing us, dividing mm. us are, so they might take a village and mix it up with five other different villages on a boat. And so you're, they're guaranteed not to be able to speak common languages. Uh, when we were on plantations here, uh, not allowed to practice any of our traditional practice. I mean, girl, they allowed to talk and drum because we was using that thing to start revolution. Uh, mm. So it feels to me like what you just said, it feels as though they weren't just forcing us into a, a, a space of forgetting physically and mentally, but it sounds like a lot of the practices we were force fed throughout colonization and enslavement were also designed to separate us from who we are Africanally, if that's a word, but spiritually. It, would you, do you see that the same way or am I taking that a bridge too far? No, that is exactly correct. Um, wow. I do research within African art, particularly African spiritual art. That is where I'm um, essentially trying to get like my PhD um, in. And it is strategically what they do. They go into these villages and they take altar spaces, they take shrines, they take wow. masquerades, they take literally the stories and the spirits themselves and they put them behind glass and to these museums and to these art institutions where actually black folk don't even go to black right. folk make up the less amount of museum visitors worldwide so who are you actually showcasing these artifacts to Wow. these artworks too. And I don't even like to use artifacts because that is a very anthropological way of describing ancestral technology mm. and spirit, mm. you know. And in their way, that is actually the way that they uh, even uh, create religious conversion, because now you create abandonment. They have no way of connecting themselves to their altar spaces, to their ancestors, to their spirits, to the vine, to ask, to connect. Now they're vulnerable to whatever you decide to give them, which is your Bibles, which is, you know, these ideas of God that is not really belonging to us originally. Mm. And now you create generations of people who are uh, essentially what I said, homeless from their spirituality wow. and disconnected from their ancestral lineage at whole. Oh my God. Okay. I already, I'd said at the beginning, we were going to have to have you come back. I can already see because you, <laughs> I feel like we just had a, a dissertation masterclass <laughs> in just a few minutes. Uh, can you just let us know? And, and, and again, a lot of this is coming, not just even from uh, my own intellectual questioning, but really more of a longing that I personally have. Mm -hmm. And every other Friday on this show, we have a segment we call soul medicine. Uh, and that's a segment that's really sort of designed to create a safe space for diasporian children to talk about things that, you know, the church said we weren't allowed to talk about. Uh, oh. And, you know, we, we really are trying to engage in an act of, of proactive reclaiming. But you just said that they literally took our religious 
technological uh, tools. And I love that you're calling it African spiritual technology. I first came across that phrase when I was uh, reading up on Maladoma Somme. Mm -hmm. And yes. he was the first person that made me realize, oh, we're not talking about waving a bush or looking at bones or shells as just something that people just decided to do all willy nilly. We are talking mm -hmm. about uh, technology. We're talking mm -hmm. about Wi-Fi before there was Wi-Fi. We're talking about spiritual technology before any of the things we consider a part of our world now ever exist. But when those tools are reduced to artifacts, when they're reduced to um, glass encased documents or glass encased items, they become not just physically removed from us, but we are also then as that homeless people that you just referenced, we are also then left to look for shelter wherever we can find it. And for a lot of us, that ended up being in the very religious practices of the people who created that separation from our original religious practices in the first place. That thought gives me a lot of anger. And when I think about that, it fills me with a little bit of rage. I'm just going to be very honest with you. And it's hard for me to see how God can show up in a space with a people who have been so intent on destroying everyone they encounter. Should I be in that space? Is it, is it okay for me to be angry about that? Like, is that... <laughs> It is. Like, can God still be in a church that has that legacy and history? Yeah, I know that God is because I've experienced God in the church. So I think that wherever you're at, that's where God can show up. But what do you say about anger about what was done to us and, and how that anger shows up in our spiritual practices as well? I think anger is justified. And I think actually even anger is a good thing because if you are not angry when you consider all of these injustices that have happened to black people, then there is something probably, you know, very wrong, essentially. Wow. But I also believe that this is why we have these spiritual tools that we are blessed with from our ancestors because that is how we are able to resist and mm. we're able to revolt. It is foolishness to believe that you know all of the slave revolts that have occurred in the diaspora were without spiritual technology they were wow. all intertwined when we talk okay. about queen nanny of the maroons when we talk yes. about the Asian revolution and how the utilization of spiritual tech and ancestral work when we talk about hoodoo and the legacy of hoodoo and the creation of hoodoo being as resistance you know with the spiritual environment that was already accessible to them at the time I think about spirituality in terms of resistance and how the anger that we can utilize or the anger that we feel, we can actually transmute it into connection to our ancestors and actually have that elevate us into the liberation that we're really seeking. Wow. Oh my God. Ehime Ora, this was not enough time. <laughs> how can people connect? I already told Shayla, my producer, we need to have her back. <laughs> I'm already just here anytime. <laughs> I sent it in the chat. I was like, set this up now. Uh, but between now and the next time we can get you back on these airwaves, how can people follow you? Because you have, you teach so much on your Twitter. I try to retweet you. I'll be telling people, I need to follow you. Some of he may aura. How can people connect with you and just continue learning from you between now and the next time we can get you back on the show? Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram under my handle, Ahimeora, which is just my name. Um, and I also have a Patreon where I teach more about African spirituality and I talk about all of my ramblings about healing work. On oh, they're, they're not well. <laughs> they're not rambling, sis. You are if you well, that, if you call that rambling, you're gonna have to ramble us on in it's the just all that stuff that I do. You know, I just, just love to talk about these things. I really am <laughs> really passionate about it. 
Uh, I love your passion. And I love that the ancestors have made a way for those of us who are seeking this information to have access to people like you, who are, again, able to serve as that bridge and to provide it. Ahime Aura, it has been a true pleasure. Y'all need to get this this affirmation book. Don't just be waiting on me to pull it up during the moment of gratitude. Ahime Aura, <laughs> uh, 365 days of meditation she has put into that book, Ancestors Says. We appreciate you. Thank you for being here. I cannot wait to have you come back and join us again. Thank you so much. I can't wait to be back, honestly, anytime for real. <laughs> Love it.